0: You may be seated, and I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Luke 15, Luke 15. And I have to tell you, I am so excited for this series that we're going to be in for the next month or so. Uh, We've been talking about this as a leadership team with our our elders and with Pastor Hang for, for months now. We've been looking forward to this date because we believe that God is on the move in this church. We really do. And we believe that God is going to be on the move through us in our communities in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the days and weeks and months, and hopefully, if the Lord wills, years and decades to come. Amen? And so we're going to ask this question over the next several weeks. Who's your one? Who is your one? Now, you may be asking yourself, what in the world does that question even mean? We, well, we want to think about this. Who's your one? Meaning, Who is God on the move for in your life to see them come to saving faith in Jesus? You see, God is reaching the lost one person at a time. Praise God for that. He looked you up. He looked me up and he said, I want Matthew to be in my family. And it wasn't because of anything good that I had done. It's because of his grace and his love and his mercy. And so we've been watching uh, God on the move in the book of Acts. We've been in Acts chapters 9 through 11. We're going to take a break from that just a little bit because we want to pause and ask, is God on the move and how is He on the move in our lives and in the life of our church today? What we want to know is this, is God still on the move? And more specifically, what about that one person that I know who's far from Jesus? Is God on the move for them? Is He on the move for Him? Is He on the move... For her. Uh, But we want to ask this question Who's your one? And I'm going to be asking, Who's my one? Can't wait to have conversations in our small groups throughout the month of March, in our sermons on Sunday mornings, and in our youth ministry is going to be talking about this. And I hope that we'll be talking about it in our homes. And I hope that we'll be asking this question in silence and solitude in our own reflection of our hearts Who's my one? Who's your one? If you're a follower of Jesus here today, you should be asking yourself that question right now. Who's my one? And you may not have the answer to that today, and that's okay. We're not asking you to to know exactly who that is, but we want to ask God to identify for us. Who's that one person that through His providence, the way He works in the everyday stuff of life, that He's brought into our paths that we want them to know Jesus? Who's my one? And what can we do to reach our ones with the gracious good news that Jesus loves people and not just people as a whole, as a group, as a community, but Jesus loves ones. He loves individuals intimately, and He loves individuals like you and me and our ones personally. At one time, you were one who was far from Jesus. And God used another one in your life to reach you with his gospel. Praise be to God that at one time you were a one. And God looked you up and reached out for you through someone just like you, follower of Jesus, and said, i got to reach Matthew or i got to reach so-and-so with the good news of Jesus. One of the ones in my life is sitting in this room. That's my mother reading to me as a child and pointing me to Jesus. And because of her courage and love for her son, I got to be welcomed into God's family. Praise God for those that looked at us as ones, right? But how do we know that God cares about one? I mean, does He have time for that? The Bible is very clear. It teaches us that our God, the Lord, is the creator and the sustainer of the whole universe. I mean, that's a huge job, right? I'm not very good at multitasking, I'll be honest with you. And if I had to run the universe making sure that planets aren't colliding with one another,s and, and animals and people are getting fed and so on, I wouldn't have time to hear people call out to me in prayer. I just wouldn't have time for that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be able to focus on just one, but not God. He is big and He's huge and He rules over the cares of all of His creation. Yes, God's big but He's also near. Our God is close. He's so near and He's so close and He's so personal that He cares for even one. And as we're going to see today, He rejoices over. Our God is so near that He celebrates. In fact, He even throws a party in heaven when a lost one is found. Isn't that amazing? God loves to party. Yes, but he doesn't party over his displays of power or wisdom. Those, those, those characteristics are worth celebrating. No, he parties over you and he parties over me. He parties when ones who are far from him come home. And right now, We're gonna have a time to party a little bit, okay? Praise be to God. We got to celebrate child dedication here. God's given us new life. So, those, those balloons are up here today because it's a celebration. But we're talking about the fact that God parties over ones when they come home. But we can't party when we're sitting down. So, we got a slide here with a party, right? I want everybody to stand up. And we're going to party together, because the best parties have music and dancing and food, and we want to party, okay? So I'm going to give you about five seconds. We're going to party, and so I'm going to count down, three, two, one, and you're going to shout, party! Are you ready for this? All right? It's okay to party in church, because as we're going to see, God parties in heaven, so it's not irreverent, all right? Here we go. Three, two, one, party! Oh, we had some confetti poppers, and it didn't go very far, (laughs) Pretend there's confetti flying everywhere. Woo! Party. Yes. Party. Go ahead and have a seat. Yeah, it's time to party. We love to party on New Year's Eve. We love to party just a few weeks ago at the Super Bowl and eat too much food, right? We love to party at birthdays. We love to party at weddings and engagement parties and even child celebrations like we have here today. Who doesn't love a party, right? We love to party. But as we see in Luke 15, this is our big idea today. God throws a party when a lost one comes home. God throws a party in heaven before his angels. I mean this is amazing friends. If you know your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6 describes Isaiah caught up in this vision and he sees heaven and he sees angels cherubim declaring holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty. That same scene that is just awesome and powerful and in some ways terrifying. That's the scene where God throws a party when a lost one comes home. And that's what our passage is about is about today. We're going to take a look at Luke 15 And instead of reading it all at one time like we normally do, we're just going to take it little bit by little bit. We're going to read it a section at a time so we could see the heart of God that parties when lost ones come home. And the first thing we want to see in this passage in Luke 15 is this. Not everyone understands the setting for the entire chapter of Luke 15. Jesus is drawing sinners in close to himself. He's seeing tax collectors, sinners, those that are outsiders in the religious community attracted to this rabbi from Nazareth, this one who they're hearing about is doing miracles and awesome deeds and and teaching with authority and in ways that they've never heard before. And so Jesus is attracting a crowd, but the righteous in the area, the righteous so-called in the crowd leaders, they can't stand it because tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus. Now, these tax collectors, they, they worked for the Romans, and the Jews hated the Romans. So these tax collectors were viewed as traitors, and even worse, they were viewed as thieves, because these tax collectors were allowed by the Romans to exact much higher amounts than the Romans were actually taxing the people. And what they would do with that extra amount that was uh, beyond what was due to Rome, they would contract right. in biblical laws. These so-called sinners, as the religious leaders described them, were views that, viewed as those who didn't care uh, less that they were breaking God's commandments. They were living their lives as if they were their own personal gods, calling the shots. They were coming near to Jesus and they were hearing His words. They were believing and obeying that, that Jesus is who He says He is. That he's the means through which people could enter the kingdom of God. You see, these tax collectors and sinners, they were hearing from the religious community, you're outsiders, you're outsiders, you can never be welcomed in here. In fact, we don't even want to look at you, we don't want to touch you, we're not going to sit out at a table with you, you're far from God. But then here comes Jesus and says... I am making a way for you to enter into my kingdom. I hate your sin even more than these religious leaders do, but I want to show you the heart of God that is greater than even your sin. Jesus was attracting. They do, these Pharisees and scribes, these were religious leaders who fastidiously, minutely, I mean, they got down to the very little uh, dividing of herbs to sacrifice to God. They, They kept the demands of the law. And these leaders, they were known for seeing divisions between themselves and those who lived outside the boundaries of the Torah, the law, and the boundaries that they also created through customs and traditions. They were the teachers of the law. This isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered opposition from these groups of people, from these religious leaders No, we see in in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 to 32, Levi, who we know as Matthew, was called to follow Jesus, and he was blown away. This Levi was a tax collector. And so we see in Luke 5, 29, Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of who? Tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes, there it is again, they grumble, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, this is the kind of crowd I was sent to. I was sent to people that were hurting and broken and sinful to show them that there is eternal life through the gospel, my gospel. We have to ask ourselves, is Jesus then telling the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, hey, you're healthy, I'm a doctor, I'm going to the sick. You guys, are, you're fine, you're good. Is that what Jesus is saying? You're healthy, these are sick. No, I think we get some clarity on what Jesus means in John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is telling them here, it's not that you're actually well, it's not that you're actually healthy, it's not that you actually see, it's just that you're not willing to admit that you are just as blind and just in need, as much in need of God's grace and His love and His forgiveness as these tax collectors and sinners. And so because you think that you're healthy, because you think that you see, you are actually blind. Not everyone understands God, God's heart for the lost. That's what religion can do to our hearts. The very system that's designed to keep us close to God can have the reverse effect in our lives. While we may seem to be close to God on the outside, even attending Sunday worship service each and every single week, on the inside our hearts move far from God's compassion for sinners. And our hearts move far away from God. We forget that we too were once sinners and we believe, begin to believe that our righteous works, our our duties, our ceremonies, our rituals, our traditions, and even our really passionate devotion and zeal is why we are accepted before God. And we get we begin to lose God's a sight of God's heart for them. first, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friend, I don't believe you want to be considered a liar before the throne room of God. What do we do then? We say, Lord, I know that sin remains in me. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that understands. And so we see that these religious leaders, they missed Understanding God's heart for the lost. So, Jesus tells some stories. Jesus says, I want to I teach you something, guys. Jesus reveals God's heart for lost ones through three stories that we're going to take a look at very briefly here this morning. Point number two, and we see this in verses 3 through 10. Let's, let's read this together. Follow along as I read aloud. Luke 15, 3, it says, So he does not leave the night. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And this is what we see from these two stories together. God goes the distance to pursue the one who is lost. God goes the distance. He goes goes as far as he needs to to pursue the lost one. Jesus gives them this comparison. What man of you or what woman among you wouldn't go out and seek that lost sheep? we're willing to go to lengths for that and so Jesus is telling the story of a man that goes for a lost sheep and a woman who looks for a lost coin and I, I love how Jesus describes the response of this shepherd and this woman who finds the coin what do they say? rejoice with me rejoice for I found my lost sheep rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost it's an invitation to others come rejoice with the shepherd rejoice with the woman a lost sheep was found a lost coin was found lost to found dead to alive something precious to me has returned it's time to party and celebrate and rejoice. Jesus has given us two stories so far. We've got two parties. And what is Jesus saying? He's not just giving a lesson about a shepherd. He's operating over to God than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And once again, we realize all of us are in need of repentance. All of us are sick. All of us are blind. But Jesus is focusing on this one because he wants us to see the intimate, the personal, the caring heart of God for sinners. I wish we could get a picture of what this scene really looks like. Someday we're going to see it for all of eternity. For those who have put their faith in Jesus and given their lives to him and said, you are my Lord and Savior, we're going to get to see this party to an even greater degree someday. It's going to be awesome. But the scene here that Jesus sets for us is that there's joy before the angels of God and there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. God throws a party. Down here on earth, a sinner, a lost coin, a lost sheep, someone who's far from God, and they come home, and there's a party. What do we see here? God loves to save sinners. He loves to save sinners. Oh, I wish we believed that. I wish I believed it. God is passionate. But think about what God loves. What does He desire? He loves to save sinners. I love how Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Scripture in the message, verse 10, he says, you can count on it. That's the kind of party that God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. That's the kind of party. Celebrating, singing, dancing, feasting over a sinner turning to God than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God pursues all, but he rejoices over the one who understands their need and turns to him for rescue. God actively seeks out sinners and brings them home, Leon Morris says. The rabbis agreed that God would welcome a penitent sinner, but this is a new idea that God is a seeking God. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, you can come on over to my house. It'd be nice if you came back. But, but this shepherd that goes out, this, this woman that sweeps the floor, she is, he and she are pursuing. That's the pursuit of God. It's a new idea as Jesus is teaching it. God takes the initiative, friend, God took the initiative for you and for me. The Son of God eternally in heaven, He put on human flesh and He dwelt among us. And He lived with you and me and He felt all the hurt and brokenness of this world. He pursued you. He took the initiative to bring you into His family. That that during this time there was a Jewish quote that says there is joy before God when when those who provoke Him perish from the world. This was a saying at at the time. There's joy before God when those who provoke Him perish from the world. It's almost as if their image of God was this good riddance. They're out of here. The troublemakers are gone. Get them out. I want the righteous ones, the good ones, the ones that are really religious. I want them close to me, but everybody else, all those tax collectors and sinners, just get rid of them. In fact, I take joy by the fact that they're out of here. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and he says there's joy over these, joy over the repenting sinner who comes home, and he takes the initiative It's a very different view than these religious leaders. Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to pat righteous people on the back. To make sure that those that were really religious felt good about themselves. No, no, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners, say it with me, sinners of whom I am the foremost. To save sinners. Luke 19, 10 gives us another picture. Jesus, by his own word, says this, For the Son of Man, the Messiah, speaking of himself, came to the world to seek and to save the lost ones. The lost ones. The lost ones. Friends, God gets joy when he sees lost ones come home. We see it. God goes the distance to pursue the one who is lost. But when we see in this longer story here that is 11 through 24, and all all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, which were detestable to the Jews. but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt some So what does this son do? He takes his father's wealth and he wastes it on the pleasures of the world. He gets drunk. He's sleeping around with all kinds of women. He brings shame on himself. He brings shame on his brother and his father and his family and his household and his village. And then one day a famine comes into the land and he's got nothing to eat and there's no one there any longer to give him anything and he's being hired out but he can't even afford enough to feed himself during this family famine god brings him really really low you know friends sometimes god allows us to feel the depths of the consequences of our sin so that we come to our senses sin is deceptive sin is wicked sin is destructive Sometimes we God lets sin do its work in our lives to deceive and almost destroy us, so that we get to the point of rock bottom, and we realize I was there to help him, but his father's servants are getting all they need. It would be better to go back and work and serve as a hired man for his father than to continue to live bitterly at the mercy of his old friends and acquaintances. So he repents. He turns in that moment, and he realizes I'm not going that direction any longer. I'm going back to dad. He repents. He turns his mind and his direction away from his old life and he turns back toward his father's house. He remembers that a life as a hired servant at his father's house is better than living as a starving beggar on the streets and the slop with the pigs. Knowing how bad he's been, he assumes that as be- the best he could ever hope for is that maybe I can just be my dad's servant, his slave. Perhaps I can Earn my way back under the hired care of my father. You see, even in this moment, even in this moment of clarity, this younger foolish son doesn't quite grasp the depths. In the fact that the, the father is looking out and he sees his son returning from a long way away. And the father, this is an amazing scene. He sets aside all decorum. He sprints to greet his son. Before the son can utter a word, the father squeezes his son and kisses him. I'm sure it's startled this younger son. What, what it, what, what's dad doing? The son standing there in this awkward moment of unsurety, he, he thinks, How do I respond? Oh, yeah, the speech. He begins his premeditated speech. Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I don't deserve to ever be called your son again, dot, dot, dot. But the, but the father says, stop. Stop right there. Before the son could continue, the father interrupts his speech by calling his servants, get some fresh clothes from my son. Get the family ring for his finger. Get him some new sandals for his feet. Get the fire going. We're eating filet mignon tonight. It's time to celebrate. It's time to party my son who had died to us is alive again. My precious son who was lost is found and he's returned home. And they threw a party, the whole village probably, getting together and celebrating. See, friends, this was like a reverse funeral. The dead had come back to life. God loves the lost one so much, friends. You see, if we want to see who, who, who's who in this, in this story, it's the loving God who is our father God loves the lost ones so much that he stands and waits and anticipates the return of his son that's how God feels about lost ones about you and about me returning home deep love verse 20 says that the father felt compassion His father saw him and felt compassion deep down to his guts in his innermost being. You could almost imagine the emotions bursting out of his body and his soul. Oh, my love, my son, there he is. If I'm this dad, there's no way that the tears aren't starting to flow to see this son. His father saw him and felt compassion. There wasn't anger toward the son returning. There was love, friends. This is our God, your God, my God. This Father loves sinners who come home. This God is described in the prophets in Zephaniah 3.17 when when God's people Israel had rebelled against him and they were receiving punishment. Zephaniah three over you with, with loud singing. When lost, one come, when lost ones come home, God sings over them loudly. Loudly, singing over you and over me. Micah 7:18 to 19 teaches us a lesson about, about what God's heart is like. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He doesn't retain his anger forever. Why? Because his delight is in steadfast love. Is God a God of anger? Is God a God of wrath and judgment? Yes, he is, but that's not what he delights in. That's not what he sings about. He sings over us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's our God. He rejoices over you. He rejoices over me. He delights in his steadfast love. And that's what we see, the father throwing a party for a lost son, a lost one who had come home. I wish that's, I wish the story got better, but we see that the story takes a little bit of a downturn here. In Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32, to finish the chapter off, it says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things wished to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. You, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. His older brother, was brother had come home and the village was celebrating. This should have been great news. My brother's home. Oh, how I've missed him. I didn't think we'd ever see him again. Is he okay? I'm so happy to have him home. I can't imagine how happy dad must be right now. This is the greatest day in the history of our family. I can't wait to get cleaned up from work. I'm going to go in there and join the party right now. Oh, I wish that was the response that Jesus describes, but Jesus is identifying those that are not happy about lost ones coming home but are invited to join the party. You see, this son, he was angry. The sound of music and dancing didn't give him joy. It irritated him. He was furious that all this celebrating and feasting was happening for him, you know, that stupid brother, the one who disrespected our father and our family. This younger brother, he considered us as good as dead, and I considered him as good as dead, and good riddance. I'd hoped that I would never see his face again. In fact, I was hoping he stole so much. I hope he was naked. He had left in our family's fine clothing. I'd hope that he was starving. He used to eat at our table. How could dad do this? Did he forget what an embarrassment our brother had been to us? And now we're eating filet mignon and partying like he's royalty? That was meant for me. I deserve that kind of party after all I've done out of loyalty to our father. If this is how he treats my idiot of a brother after all he's done, what a waste of time it's been here to, to be with dad and serve him. I've wasted my time on this dad and on this brother. The older brother, he, he didn't get the father's heart. He missed the father's love and compassion. I've, I've served you father to a son. He didn't really understand what being a son meant That's probably why he didn't understand what being a father meant. He didn't understand the heart of the Father. While it's important to make the point that God welcomes sinners, it's also important to remember that those who reject repentant sinners are out of line with the Father's will, writes Leon Morris. You see, if we don't get God's heart, we're like that elder brother standing outside, and we think we know all kinds of things about God. We think, we, know, we think we've done all these wonderful things for God, but in the midst of all of that, focused on ourselves and our own deeds and our own self-righteousness, we've missed the very heart of God. And so we leave the story unfinished. Will the elder brother change his mind and go to the party? Will we recognize that his father's heart for him is as big as his heart for the younger brother And friends, that's our choice here today. When we ask the question, who's your one? We want to ask ourselves, will I go into the party that God throws for lost ones? That's our choice. We're invited to rejoice and celebrate with God. He loves lost people. He's compassionate to even one. Will we demonstrate that same kind of compassion will we join his party that rejoices over lost ones coming home again our big idea this morning as we wrap up is God throws a party for uh, throws a party when a lost one comes home what keeps us from a what keeps us from God's heart for one what keeps your heart from God's heart for one what's holding you back to say, I, I love lost people the way my father loves lost people. Maybe you've found yourself in your heart and in your attitude. And I've found it many times that I'm the older brother standing on the outside. What's keeping me from going in? Well, I think we've all got reasons. Just a few of them here is, is first of all, Apathy. You may think to yourself, well, I've got a full plate with work and and my family already. I really don't have time to start pursuing lost ones. Besides, someone else can do that. Someone else can go and reach that one, right? Isn't that what pastors are for and evangelists are for? I've been there myself. Just this apathy that says, I just don't think I've got the time to devote to reaching one like my God. Another reason could be arrogance. Arrogance. Maybe you think to yourself as you watch the news or watch your neighbors or friends or even family, he said, people are just so messed up today. You reap what you sow, right? And the mess that I see my one in is, is probably what they deserved. They've made such terrible choices for their life and it's coming back to bite them. I'm so glad that I'm not messed up the way they've messed up their lives. Those arrogant, self-righteous people can be found right in the walls of our churches. Can be sitting right in the seats where you and I sit We just don't care for the ones because we feel like they're getting what they deserve. We stand outside of the party that God's inviting us to join in with Him to reach lost ones. Maybe another reason why you're unwilling to go into the party today is fear. I'm too weak and I'm too broken to make an impact on any one my past is too ugly. My pain is too powerful. My story is bland. My story is uninteresting. Besides, if I reach out to that one, they probably will mock me. Or maybe they'll reject me. Maybe they'll even hate me. I'm too shy to be used to reach any one. We can all have elder brothers. But the good news is that we know one elder brother who cared. The, this brother, he humbled himself. He stepped right into the darkness of our fear of death and despair and He rescued many ones like you and far away land sitting in the pig sty. and He paid off all our debts and He clothed us with His perfect righteousness and He carried us on His back to the compassionate embrace of our Father. Thank you, Jesus, our perfect elder brother. Amen. The perfect one that seeks and saves the lost. And so today, we're invited to join God's party for one. And I want to ask you, church family, I'm so excited. Our elders, we've been praying about this for the last four weeks. Your small group leaders have been praying over the last week to say, Lord, teach us to be the the kind of elder brother that follows our perfect elder brother, Jesus. We're going to talk for Monday. It's a question we like to ask around here. How does what we've learned here today impact how I'm going to live my life tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that? I've got some friends here today. They're going to help uh, pass out a tool that we want today. Those teach us to join Prayer effort is all about it. Imagine if every believer, you and me, imagine if we could answer that question, who's your one, with the name of a person who's far from God. A person for whom they're praying and with whom they're seeking to share the gospel. That's the intention behind who's your one. We believe that God's people don't merely need another method for sharing the gospel. What they need is a white hot passion to see people who are far from God experience the new life that he offers through Jesus Christ. We just want to get you passionate and me passionate and us passionate to have a party to have a party for lost ones that you know and I know and we know together. Over the coming days, our Lex, and two can all take responsibility for one. Say it with me. One. One. Who's your one? Who's your one? Because of God's power and the work of His Spirit and because He loves to throw parties for lost ones who come home, each one of our ones can add up to make a significant impact for God's kingdom. Friends, we're not asking you to go out and start standing on street corners and shouting with a megaphone. We're asking you on your knees, in your homes, with your kids. Our teens are gonna be doing this. Our youth ministry, our small groups, our Sunday services, we're gonna take the month of March and pray for one. I've got an example slide for you so that you know exactly what we're doing. This Wednesday, March 1st, is day one. Let's go to that next. There we go. It's day one. And you could see it right up there. It's got a verse, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as you pray over the next few days, and God shows you who the faraway land that God pray that prayer for your one. And then on March 2nd, you turn over to day two and you do the same thing. There's a new verse and you put that one's name in those blanks and so on and so forth. Friends, I pray that God would allow us to have our hearts aligned with his, a heart that took the initiative to track you down and to track me down and to say, Lord, to whom are you sending me? So I wanna ask you, who's your One. Ask the Lord. Ask Him to show you. Maybe you don't know who that one is today. You've got a couple of days. Start asking your small group leaders. Ask one of the elders here. Ask me. We want to share with you this is the one for whom I'm praying. And let's commit throughout the month of March to be praying for our ones. Will you join the party? God's heart that beats for one. Let's stand together as we commit ourselves during the month of March to praying for our ones. And I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we get a little taste, a little glimpse of your heart for one, that that the angels of God in heaven party over one sinner who turns and comes home. Thank you that you threw a party for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I know my sins, not just my behaviors. I know the sins of my heart. Thank you that you saw me and that you had compassion for me. Thank you for our elder brother, Jesus, who who didn't just stay home. He went far away to find us in that pigsty and brought us home. And Lord, as we read through Luke 15, we want to ask ourselves, what kind of elder brother will we be as followers of Jesus? Will we follow in the steps of of the righteous, self-righteous religious leaders, angry and bitter, arrogant, apathetic, fearful? Or will we step out and say, I want to have God's heart for one. Lord, I pray in the coming days that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. A pastor can't change any hearts in this room. Your word can and your spirit can. So we're trusting as we pray through this, throughout this month of March, in our groups, in our homes, in our youth ministry, in our mentor relationships, in our men's one-on-one, in our ladies' meetings, men's meetings, uh, Lord, in our homes, in our, in our, around our dinner tables, even our, in our... We'll do that. We're so excited for that. And, and Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, one who's been living far from you, one who needs to be rescued by your compassionate heart, I pray that they would come forward. I pray that they would say, I, I want to receive the warm embrace from a God who loves sinners. Oh, I pray, would you save them today? Do a saving work through us, in us, and for us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our elder brother, amen.